It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Yeah, baby. This week's starring special guest star, Miss Andrea Scopi. Yeah, baby. Oh, there's the next one. Band, thank you, fake audience, and we're gonna bump elbows because nobody's shaking hands this week. Uh, welcome to the uh, coronavirus episode of Taxi TV Live. <laughs> Why is there nobody showing up in the uh, chat room? That's weird. You're there. It's just buffering right now. I see them. It's buffering? Okay. You're moving us. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, hello, everybody. Um, I am very excited to have Andre here because we have known about each other for years and yes. we've never actually met that I re we've never met right mm -hmm. probably not I've um. been stalking you a little bit <laughs> uh, <laughs> that yeah. was years ago stop now. Um, got a handle on it <laughs> that's good okay. Ariana call please um Anyway, I'm excited. We don't do enough shows about uh, songwriting. It's so weird. The chat yeah. is just not, uh, nobody's showing up in there. Anyway, uh, okay. What? I see all of them. So okay, well, at some point I'm going to need to see them um, for when we do Q&A. Anyway, uh, I'm in there twice. Um, so I feel like we don't do enough shows about songwriting. And Andrea called me three weeks ago maybe and said we should know each other and maybe do some stuff together road rally taxi tv yeah. Yeah. and i said yeah come on over but wait until the coronavirus gets out of control um, <laughs> i was gonna wear i've got a gas mask oh, <laughs> I, I was gonna wear that on the show today um but let me read your uh, your bio because okay. they should know who is sitting right. next to me today. Uh, Andrea Stolpe is a Los Angeles-based songwriter, author, performing artist, and educator. Mm -hmm. She's worked as a staff writer for EMI, Almo Irving, and Universal Music Publishing, with songs recorded by artists such as Faith Hill, Juliana Huff, Daniel Lee Martin, Jimmy Wayne, and others. And she teaches at the University of, uh, no, that's not the University of California, it's USC. Southern California, yeah. Yeah, University of Southern California, that's weird, Southern's missing. Mm -hmm. um, University of Southern California Thornton School of Music is the author and instructor of Berkeley College of Music's online course, Commercial Songwriting Techniques. Yes. For the past 10 years, Andrea has taught melody, harmony, and lyric writing courses for Berkeley Online. She continues to tour and serve as a guest clinician nationally and abroad. She enjoys working to develop writers, uh, part of sonic art production, uh, working to develop writers. Is this missing a word? Let, uh, let, me, let me help you with that because I actually don't do that anymore with sonic okay. art productions. But we do Writer to Writer is a, a retreats that we're uh, starting up now yeah yeah your husband's an engineer right yes yes so i don't know I, whether I to give you a hug thing. or to feel sorry for you <laughs> my wife well my first wife would say feel sorry for you <laughs> i have had to listen to the same song thousands of times yeah for you know trying to fall asleep at night just thinking when is this gonna end um punching in but, syllables but yeah yeah but it's been uh I, I have had my own engineer to help and guide me and make demos for me all the way up so it's it's huge yeah. it's huge it's it's definitely an area that i didn't have to struggle with because i had him and you have kids we do yeah we have two kids so um 
that had to be tough, you know, balancing your career, <laughs> his career, because, I mean, these are not normal jobs with normal hours. No, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. And you can't plan creativity. Right. Is the other thing. So I definitely have had to develop strategies for um, writing in 15-minute spurts sometimes or writing on while I'm driving, just talking into my phone and recording ideas, you know. When I'm on a walk or something, I'll have ideas. So my the way that I write is very different than it was before. See, we just got rid of the kids. We'd give the next-door neighbor a jar of jelly and a jar of peanut butter and a loaf yeah. of Wonder Bread so they'd take them their ears Go. for the day. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, I... Yeah. It, I mean, it was a long, long time ago that I was married to my first wife, but she was definitely a studio widow. Yeah. And when our first daughter was born, it was a profound moment in my life that made me grow up a little bit anyway. She, I came home one day, like four in the morning from a session, and she said, do you realize you have a daughter that's six months old and you haven't changed one diaper yet? Right. Yeah. I started hanging out more, but I didn't change any diapers. Yeah. Just not, I did with the... That's another, that's another video, how you <laughs> right. evaded that. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the books for a moment. Uh, okay, you brought sure. a couple, which we are going to give away. Um, what we're going to do is have you guys comment under this show on YouTube, and uh, Ariana's going to pick the best comment or the most fruitful comment, and you will win a book or two. Okay. So, sure. yeah. Um, here, I'll hold them up and get them all Jeremy for you. I did have a little cold over the weekend, but... So, there we get go. in songwriting. Okay. And popular lyric writing. This is the book that is companion to the online course. Oh, okay. it, it does stand alone, but um, this one was written first. Beginning songwriting is uh, exactly as it sounds, but I wasn't really keen on um, what other songwriting books at the time uh, had offered in, in terms of um, much more industry advice rather than songwriting tips and tools. So it kind of hopefully goes beyond just the song form and, and um, you know, basic things that I think are in a lot of books. And involves a chapter on theory for songwriters. And I know theory can be a, a real Fascinating. difficult, <laughs> challenging thing uh, to learn. And, and I think the way that we deliver it to songwriters should be different than the way that we would study traditional theory. So was it hard for you to transition from being a songwriter to an educator? Um, not that you have to quit being one to be the other, but, mm -hmm. you know, songwriting is, is a learned craft with a certain amount of the muse yeah. and creative yeah. soul all thrown in, and then all of a sudden you have to tell other people how to do it, um, how to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, well, as I was telling you before, I really feel like my time in Nashville was my master's degree. So despite uh, not being told by others in as much as you would in a lecture in school how to write, I was being taught. And a lot of that teaching was on lyric writing mm -hmm. because it was Nashville dr lyric writing driven songs. It's really hard for people who have not been there and, and witnessed it with their own eyes to understand the level of expertise and, yeah. and the demand that writers put on co-writers there. Yeah. So, Good yeah. for you for surviving that crash course. <laughs> well, they always say it's a five-year town. Yeah. Right? So, in, and what that really means, I think, is to really understand you can't just put some twang on <laughs> it and then call it a country song. It's not a country. It's really about being on the pulse of what makes the culture tick. Right. You know, and and then to be innovative in that and not just kind of rewrite what you think would be a typical country song. 
that's where I think that the challenge really is. And that doesn't come for years of writing lots and lots of songs for a particular market. And, and there's always been, at least since Shania Twain and probably before her, but there's always been this, you know, wrestling. Um, it, it's almost like, what do they call it? Guys pulling on ropes trying yeah, tug to tug of war. Yeah, it's a tug of mm -hmm. war with um, the kids today and the old guard mm. and the old mm -hmm. guard when the old guard definitely ran the music in the country music industry shania twain came along it's like that'll never work and it worked right. really well and yeah. they still yeah. didn't want to admit it yep. and, and now you know it, it's a hip-hop beat and just about anything else you can do with country or country pop on top of it right. so has that changed the rules of the game in nashville where people are starting out with a beat and, and writing around that or to that? Yeah, there was a point um, halfway through my Nashville career where we would see more people come into a co-writing session with a laptop and Logic, and they were co-writing. So that's really different where it's like, what, you're not, first of all, going to sit there with a guitar and you're not going to contribute <laughs> lyrics? You're just going to tell me when I've sung something that you like? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, so, but... I can't even imagine what that must have been like yeah, it, yeah 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 it does feel like it pigeonholes uh, I felt pigeonholed even more so as a lyric melody a, a top line person really mm -hmm. um, the more that went along but you know I think like anything else I've had to become strategic about the collaborations that I choose to do and I think that's an example of being strategic I think the youth of the culture are always going to drive things mm -hmm. and so it is challenging giving getting back to your other question you know I'm getting older I have children and other responsibilities and you know things I care about um, and so and that and that might change my focus what the kinds of songs that I write and the market that I'm writing for within the market and that's okay it's got to be really hard for artists um, like I can't maybe maybe I'm wrong about this but I can't imagine Faith Hill doing a hip-hop song um, yeah, I can't imagine that either. Um, I think her fans would not, not, yeah. not like that. Yeah. You know, and some artists might chase that to try and garner younger fans to right. keep the career going or reinvigorate it, but you are who you are to an extent, you know, and it's hard for somebody like her to... The Beatles could reinvent an artist like Faith Hill not quite as much, I have a feeling. I hear what you're saying, and I think that is so core to what... I wanted to talk about today oh, okay because I think that so many times and I started out this way we look at the industry and think huh I could write for that industry and we're trying to um, sort of emulate and it's great to emulate you know it's great as a guitar player to pick up your guitar and memorize other people's songs and as a songwriter we do that ultimately we are the product of our influences but when you decide that's the market I want to sound like, mm -hmm. most of the time I think that emulation is really all we get across. And we forget that, wait a minute, what do I sound like when I'm just doing something yeah. that I instinctually know is good? So I think we lose touch with that voice. And when we go back to, wait a second, what's instinctually good? When do I sound my best? What lines have I written? What melodies? What harmonic progression and groove? Do I think, you know what, that's my best 10% right there? And then look at what part of the industry needs that. Where does that fit? Because it's it's flipping the coin. It's looking at it from the other right. point of view. It's 
A problem we've always had here at Taxi is that a certain number of our members write music that is stuck in the gener musical generation they grew up in. Sure. And a lot of them are sure. mid-70s. Um, I call it, you know, strummy singer-songwriter type. Sure. And it's hard for them to transition into contemporary, um, whether it's the beat, the vocal phrasing, the melodic um, structure of a song. Yeah. And they're not that far away from it, and they have a certain modicum of talent. They just need to mm -hmm. reorient. And right. they don't want to because they listen to what's on the radio or on Spotify, and they say, gee, I don't want to be a part of that. But I still want to have a job in the industry. Sure. <laughs> That's tough because you do have to do what you just described, which is look at the industry and go, where do I fit in? And then how can I bring my A game to that yeah. segment? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the reality is, you know, we we can't have it our way all the time. <laughs> or 100% all way, our way any of the time. I'd be happy, yeah, like 3% of the like, time. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So once we start talking about making um, making a living out of this, then you know we definitely need to have our business mind business hats on to understand what are what are they going to pay me for because mm -hmm. you know what, what we were talking about before and you had guests on here saying the same thing but when we write a song that we're gonna pitch to someone else we're essentially showing them look at who you could be isn't this amazing showing the artist trying to capture their imagination of who they could be. Yes, by and... Vis-a-vis -vis that song that you wrote. Exactly. Right. And when I pitch to that artist, it needs to be something that likely they can't do themselves, mm -hmm. you know, because I think that tends to happen too, where we write songs and yes, they're good, but the artist could also write something similar, certainly with collaborators of their choice, if they're an artist of some caliber. Yeah, no problem. Even if they're so. not such a high caliber anymore, like, please let me in your camp. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so, you know, also that, that should be hard to do. Yeah. It, it is very hard to do. Um, yeah, so I think we need to, to, to keep sight of that. But I love something that you said about that there is quality. There's... There's sort of a there's there's an undercurrent of of something that is working, even in those songs, that the whole of it is is maybe not pitchable. Yeah. And I think when we get feedback, the feedback, whether it's from industry people or a song contest or you know taxi feedback, there's truth in the feedback. But we also need to kind of have that filter and well, how do I understand this feedback? How do I use it to well, my... Yeah, and how do I even just not smack it down? Because how the hell would you know? I wrote the song <laughs> and you obviously don't know anything about anything. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I'm going off my script now and not going to do Let's these do things it. in order. But <laughs> um, look, if somebody criticizes Taxi... I've gotten better over the years about being open-minded about it, but in that moment, it's the fight or flight thing, and you know, and you want to fight it. Yeah, you do. It's your baby. I get it, and I understand that for songwriters. But when you're in a co-write situation in Nashville, you can't afford fight or flight um, syndrome. In that, right. you've got to be open, but you don't want to lay down and take it either. You've got to stand up for what you know is working right. and know when to be flexible and moderate your thinking. So, so how true. do you teach yourself that skill? So true. 
Well, I think uh, one of the things that I do is I have several co-writes going on at the, at, you know, several songs, I should say, going on at the same time. Because what that does to my brain is it tells me no one of these songs is the end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. You are not your one song. And for me, that's important that's because advice. I can then also stay a little more objective because I can say, well, out of these three, I seem to keep going back to this one. And, I'm, and I feel like I really got the pulse of that one. and I'm excited about that. When I start to spend too many hours on any one song, mm-hmm. I lose that objectivity. And I start to feel like everything really, if, if, if this song, it's make or break right now. Mm-hmm. The song's got to work. I think... Um, you know, with respect to working with a collaborator, also recognizing that, look, we could finish this song and I could choose my relationship with this person, you know, if it gets to that point. And this is all internal dialogue. I can choose either to um, sustain a good relationship for networking and, and just, you know, sustaining my own career and positivity and optimism. super important in Nashville. Yeah. Or I could really fight for the idea. But there's nothing keeping me from saying, you know what? I think where we've gone with this song is 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 good, and let's play it for a few people and see. And then maybe after that, I'm going to try taking it in this direction and see if I can get uh, something that receives maybe maybe more ec- ecstatic feedback or people just latch onto it. So it's not as if it's black and white, and I have to either sacrifice everything or you know sacrifice relationship and stick with my song idea is it a generous is there a generosity of spirit in most co-writes um where it's not a battle of the wills yes um where a mature seasoned writer may hear you say okay i'll go down this road with you but i also hear something else so please don't be offended if i go home tonight take it down this other road as well yeah and we'll because if nothing else, they're looking for a cut and a hit, too. Everybody is, right? <laughs> right? And so there's two people in a co-write, right? And well, not just anymore. Just like a relationship, right? There's 14 people in a co-write, right? right. No, but the, I mean, it's also my... So you've got two people who are trying to understand each other and write something that sounds like it's from one person, mm. one unified person. And so it's my job to try to make you understand what I'm going for, and it's your job to try to make me understand. And so it could be that I'm not ex- ex- not quite able to show you what it is I have in my head, too. Right, and if you can't do that with the other writer, then how's the artist who you're going to pitch it to How supposed to glom know? onto it? Yeah, so, you know, and I might go home and, and really pursue that idea that I had, bring it back the next day and say, you know, in my mind, I wrote 95% of this, you know, percent of the song, you know, but I'm still going to be like, look what we made. Mm-hmm. Because you can't sit and count words and say, you know, I'm really the better melody writer. And that's why they have the five-year plan in Nashville, because it takes people five years to come to that realization, yes, I think. Yes, yes, Yeah. Yeah. So it's very much 50-50. We're all going for the same thing. You know, we used to say, um, you know, 50% of something is better than nothing zero <laughs> percent of anything yeah. before so. he passed away ralph murphy and i were very close friends whenever he came yeah. to la he would always stay at my house and i learned so much from that guy at our dinner table and on golf courses with him and he always said you know it's just divvied up equally even if you're the guy who did nothing more than get the yeah. coffee the day the hit was written yeah. someday you're going to be the guy that comes up with the hit and somebody else is going to be getting the coffee so you just got to roll with it so true
And I mean, I've been in the room plenty of times where I feel like I really haven't helped at all. Mm -hmm. I just had an off day, you know? I mean, and that's the thing, in collaborations, you're pretty much gonna go in there and, and just ideas are flying around. Hopefully you can keep the momentum going, but your job is to just be a team, be part of a team. Do you strategize before you, let's say you're in Nashville and I would assume that you're gonna do one, two, maybe even three writing sessions in a yeah. day. Yeah. And you look at who you're gonna be writing with. Yeah. Oh, I've written with that person before. So there's a level of comfort and yeah. you kind of know how they play tennis, if you will. Sure. You know <laughs> that, that their serve is their strong suit. Um, somebody else that you don't know, do you go back and look at the cuts they've had? How do you, study them so that you go in with the right thing to present because that's a big part of the game is getting them to go ah i yeah. like that let's work on that and yeah. if you don't yeah it's a bust for sure so i would definitely be familiar with with who i'm going to be writing with um but i think also part of that is uh understanding your own strengths so when i go into a session what do i feel is is the thing that i can contribute so it's, 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 again, it's what can I contribute to this product that's going to make it uh, stronger? Mm -hmm. So in, instead of kind of what do they do that I can use to make me look good, <laughs> you know, um, before my first co-writes, I probably threw out the first year in Nashville, I swear, I would go into co-writing situations that would scare the living daylights out of me because, you know, I know when I get in the room, I would be blank. No ideas, nothing. And so I wrote That's gotta be terrible. the whole song before going in. And I would go uh, in with several ideas. I would have a, a chorus that I thought was pretty strong, you know, and I would just, everything was, was fair game. My best ideas were already written, but I didn't tell them that. I'd be like, well, I got this idea. You know, and just So you're a stalker and a liar. And now, a liar. Now we know two things about her, okay. Definitely. Um, but what that did was enable me to put forth, a, a, you know, my strongest foot. And it m helped they me to make the best well. use of my collaborators' time. Yeah. It helped me to make sure that I could accomplish what I wanted to, which was eventually have a great song that they would play to their publisher and see, like, who's this Andrea girl? What's her deal? And you'd be like, well, <coughs> she has no deal. Uh, you should listen to her. And then I would be able to go in and be like, you know, are you okay? I'm going to live. I've I'm got straight. cough drops. Okay. Um, so <coughs> that was a really helpful, yeah. I'm going to go cough it out. Keep talking. Do it, do it. So that is really, really helpful. But getting back to this idea of how do you know what your strengths are? And I think this is where the, the, the craft has to come in. And one great thing to do is to demo a song as just a straight ahead guitar vocal um, as well as the full demo so you might have a full production that you really dig but it's also wonderful to then just have a stripped down version so that nothing you've got in the production is going to distract or the, the the artist can't say well i wouldn't really do it that way so can't hear the song it's not my style and then they might pass over it so if you've got the ability to just do a simple guitar vocal, piano vocal. Now certain songs, of course, are not going to do well in that context, and so you'll have to, you know, manage that aspect of the song. But then you can really focus on the song itself. 
you know, getting a demo singer that is current, uh, someone that that uh, sounds like someone within that genre that you could you could say, okay, this demo singer is not going to get in the way of the song. It's actually going to help the song to really speak and reach the listeners you're trying to reach. Um, and so that can be an important aspect. And I think I think about demoing as the manner in which I help the listener. This is for industry people mostly, right? to understand what I mean with the song, where I think the song is going to fit. So I think that's an aspect, again, I was going at that from what are my strengths, but when it's just the song in its bare bones form, sometimes that's more effective than a demo that can sometimes turn off the listener, particularly if <coughs> the sound is not something the industry person can uh, can say. Wait a minute, let me let me pretend I didn't hear that and imagine it a different way. They're never going to do that. They have too many songs available to them <coughs> to bother. This is the worst tickle in my throat I've ever had. Sorry about that. Yeah. Anyway, if um, brings me to a question. Yeah. Now I'm gonna scoot closer to you. Give you coronavirus. Anyway, um, if you are presenting, pitching ultimately to a female. Yeah. Are you a big believer and have a female vocal and think about the the key that sits best um yeah i would i would certainly do that i had some difficulty with my own vocal sometimes pitching in the country market because i wasn't twangy enough i it, my vocal was it, it just was a, a little bit more ori original we'll say it was different than what they're used to hearing so again i think Anything that we can do that gets out, uh, that gets us out of the way of the song, um, is a smart thing to think about. I still run into a lot of people that say, "Well, it's an R&B song. Can't they hear through that?" It's like, why would you no, want to make them do? Ever. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, it, it yeah. doesn't seem that hard, but you've put up an obstacle that doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. And Lord it's knows, it's like your passive-aggressive aunt. You know, <laughs> don't you know what I mean? Yeah. No, actually, I don't. I don't think know? I've ever had one of those. Yeah, you can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she's watching today. <laughs> well, <clears throat> okay. So let's talk about some specifics. Um, one of the bullet points you sent me was my friends love my song. Yeah. <coughs> oh, what the heck's the matter with me? So. <coughs> <coughs> You let me know when you need a stretcher, and I'll just kind of ride <laughs> out you. the rest of the <laughs> I have, like, the worst mm. post-nasal drip oh. going on. Um, why was it passed over? Yeah. <clears throat> my friends love my song. Yeah. Why was it passed over? Yeah. I'll be right back while you're covering No problem. No problem. <laughs> Sorry, so, guys. So I think when we're playing our songs for other people, it's really helpful to ask specific feedback. So, so uh even if a, uh, you get complimentary response from your song, like, oh yeah, you really liked it. Well, um, in terms of the song parts, melody, lyric, chords, and groove, they might not really know what some of those parts are, depending on who you're having listened. Um, they might be able to tell you, if you ask them, which of those elements do you feel like you really jived with best? You know, if any of those elements were taken away, one of them, you know, wasn't really about the chords or if the lyric was kind of, you know, would you still like the song? What do you think connected you to the song the most? 
um, you can ask them about specific sections. Or there's questions like, um, uh, what do you think the chorus was? What do you feel like the main message was? You know, but really understanding why did they like the song, and and you're gonna get a little like, um, uh, well, you know, not they really like, being able to verbalize. They like it because you wrote it. Yeah, that's <laughs> a little bit of a. An and, issue. and they couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The bar is different than you know different. being in a co-write in Nashville. Yeah. And having a family member or friend go, that's great. Yeah, 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 and yeah. and they're proud of you. Yeah. You know, but but I think that the the beautiful thing about studying songwriting is that you end up being able to strengthen your own instinct, because if you haven't written ten songs, you can't say that one of them is your best work. You know, it, it really ninety percent of what we write is not our best ten percent, and so that's the thing that that pro writers whom you know we're pitching along our songs alongside are doing is they're writing a lot and they're not uh concerned so much about is this the best thing i ever wrote god i hope so because it's you know the only thing i've got going on right now you or have it's to write <clears throat> the last song syndrome yeah. you know it's the last thing they wrote and, yeah. and i understand that because you hopefully get better every time yeah um yeah so or not. what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? You mentioned that you had exercises for some of this stuff. What's a good exercise to um, be able to accept feedback that is at okay. a more torturous level than what your yeah. passive aggressive aunt might give you? I never play anybody only one song. I would rather play a person half, like a verse and a chorus of three songs and be like, so which one do you jive with the most? Which one did you instantly like? And are you talking in a pitching situation? Or are you um, talking just in hanging out with your writing friends, trying to see what resonates? Hanging out with writing friends, okay. yeah. In a writing group or with with my publisher. You know, I'll play in several things at once. And it's often that people can tell you what's working with a song much more easily than they can tell you what's not and, and help you to understand what you need to do to change it. The worst feeling in the world I think, as a writer, is for someone to be lukewarm about <laughs> something. And then their feedback makes you think that, oh, God, do I have to rewrite the whole song? Like, where would I even begin to make the changes to the story that you're talking about? Because if I change one thing, it's this ripple effect, and this is wrong, and my chorus is too long, and there's not enough repetition, and it's not clear what it's about. Oh, God. It's like, you know what? Just Nashville publishers can give you that, though. <laughs> They're the best. Oh, yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah. two lines into a chorus, and and they can tell you exactly what's not working. Right. And, and it's hard. I at least I found, even though I wasn't the writer, but I would take stuff from Taxi and pitch it to Nashville publishers, and you walk out of the room going, "I just learned something." Yeah. 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 You, yep. you yep. think you know it all till you meet those guys because their bar is really high, and and their talent is is strong enough that they can defend that bar really well. Yeah, but sometimes not. Sometimes. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've only met the good ones. I have yet to meet cool. a bad one. Wow. Yeah. I've got to say. I don't believe you. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I, I can, guys like, uh, I've known Jim Catano since he was oh, okay. like, you know, a puppy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cliff Audrich the yeah. third. I've known um, uh, Cliff Jr., his dad. Uh, a bunch of those guys that every time I walked out of the room, I'd go, they deserve to have that job. Yeah. 
They do. They listen to hundreds of thousands of songs. Yeah, and they're big fans. Yeah. They want to find a hit. Yeah. People think that they want to shoot stuff down. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. They want it to be great because they want to pick up the phone and call somebody, you know, Faith Hill, and say, I've got a song sure. that's going to, you know, it's a career-making song for you. So other exercises, yeah. though, because I really didn't dig into much. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, I want to make sure I actually give people some content here. So exercises besides playing a couple of songs rather than just one. Um, sometimes I think it's important to remember that when we're writing, you don't have to finish a song. You know, sometimes saying, I'm going to write a four-line verse moving into a four-line chorus so that I can practice that kind of minimalism that is so hard to write, that simplicity. It kind of forces you to look at, am I comfortable putting my title in the first line of the chorus and repeating it over and over again? And if I'm not, does that give me insight into why I can't seem to get clarity in my messages? Because I've got all these other ideas floating around. You know, so there's tools of the craft that we can definitely, melody. A lot of times, um, you know, wonderful songwriters but they'll have uh, a melodic motif for line one so we'll sing the verse you know da 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 and then line two will change it da 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 line three da 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 line four da 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 I mean you try I can't even sing that back and I wrote it so, I'm gonna get a YouTube notice because now my show won't get monetized <laughs> Okay. Anyway. So I think that that's another um, thing to, to recognize. When people say to you, your melodies aren't strong or, or aren't memorable. Eminently forgettable. You, for that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then sometimes it can be that what you need to do is say, which, which melody motif, which theme that I've got for each line here is the most memorable. And stop trying to vary everything you do. We need repetition to mm -hmm. cause tension. Without repetition, it's just a meandering, you know, kind of like what I'm doing right now, just talking right. and talking and talking and talking. Nobody wants to listen to that. So I can go cough some more and you can yeah, just keep yeah, talking and talking, well, and talking Let me tell you, <laughs> right? That was like the worst cough I've ever had in my life. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I survived. Yeah. Um, when you are in a co-write situation, how often do pro-writers invoke craft with each other? All um, the time. So do they actually refer to like a craft mechanism and say, well, maybe we should treat it like this and actually call, you know, that, I don't even know if craft mechanism um, yeah, is, like, is the right description. I know what you right mean. I think different writers, we talk about craft in a different way. Yeah, how? So, well, so when if I say sensory language, somebody else might say furniture, you know? It's yeah. the same idea. Um, is we might think, oh, I love how you wrap that melody around to the next line. I love how you rhymed, you know, internally. So there might be some more basic uh, ideas. Okay. Um, or just like, well, that verse feels too short. What should we do, you know? Or do we need a pre-chorus? So we definitely talk about, uh, about craft. Um, because frankly, I mean, inspiration runs out. It does when we're in our living room writing and it does in a co-write. And eventually you have to look at what have we actually got here? And um, what do you want to write for the bridge? Well, let's see what we've already said. Maybe it doesn't need a bridge. Or if it did, what could we say? 
well, let's talk about the future or what do you do? Um, what's a good exercise for the meandering melody, the uh, eradication of meandering melody? That's hard right. to say. Right. Well, you're the one using the big words here. Um, <laughs> I only do that when I'm near death. I loved your stretcher yeah. line. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it again, it depends on the writer. I'm more of a um, I love tools and I love craft and it's gotten me out of a lot of hard mind-numbing situations where I don't know what to do if I don't have craft I don't get to finish songs or start any new ones because craft is uh, the guide for my inspiration craft enables me to do my sensory writing pages every day even if I don't feel like it you know? so what do you do <clears throat> if if you're writing by yourself, yeah. maybe in preparation to go to Nashville and do co-write, and you feel that you've got a meandering melody, what craft tool do you pull out of your quiver? Yeah, I would sit down at my piano, more with my guitar, and I would push record, and I would sing a variety of different melodies. I would think about melodic techniques as I do. I can shorten the notes I'm singing. So if my tempo is like this, I can sing. Right? So that's very different than. Those are long notes. But I don't recognize what I'm doing until I hold it up against these tools. Melodically, you can do pitch. You can look at what are your pitches doing shapes like I'm ascending da 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 or da 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 descending or I can do big jumps like somewhere over the rainbow right now my show is definitely not getting monetized oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) we'll just mute that okay um but or I can do rhythmic things um, where I'm, I'm changing the lengths of the notes to be shorter or longer. I'm changing where I sing the melody in terms of late in the bar, before the bar, downbeat of the bar. Um, or so, I'm, you know, I'm manipulating things very thoughtfully, though. And is are the ways you manipulate it, are those driven by current craft of what's going on in the marketplace? Because let's say you know starting stuff on on uh, not on the downbeat anymore you know has been a thing for probably close to 10 years uh, i mean that definitely was like a notable transition in um in melody or in lyric phrasing as well so what happens when that's over and, and whatever becomes the next trend mm-hmm. do you then have to start sitting down and studying that trend and going why does this work how do they accomplish it and then pull that out of your bag of tricks in a writing session and does it make you to do that do you feel like you're still being true to yourself as a writer or are you chasing somebody else's shtick right I mean some days I'm totally chasing somebody yeah. else's shtick and I don't <laughs> even know it well wow. I thought what I did was really cool and then I hear somebody <laughs> else and I'm like oh man you know, yeah. but I, I think, too, the very static melodies, dun, 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 you know, on staying on one note for a mm-hmm. long time is a thing. But I think the idea will never, never go out of uh, be a fad that that contrast between our sections is right. what makes 
songs have a hit chorus. That would be the last thing I would give up as a songwriter. If I had to yes. take one aspect of craft with me to a desert island, Yes, craft would be the one. I mean, um, contrast. contrast would be the one would that I would take. Thing. Yeah. And in commercial writing, <clears throat> where we're trying to pitch to other people, we have to have a vocabulary of contrast. Mm -hmm. What makes contrast? Uh, gosh, there's so much we could say about that. But if we're trying to write for a commercial market, we have to be able to draw those tools out of our bag. Otherwise, we're you know we're just kind of floating on the waves of whatever's current. Yeah, as as human beings, we're wired with Broca's area, which is part of the brain that sits above the ear, and it looks for contrast. And that's sure. what it the, mm. when Broca's area hears contrast, it goes, oh, that's novel and memorable, mm. and that's what makes a chorus stick. They've actually done studies about that. Sure. Otherwise, they're just a bunch of monkeys, you know. Right. Mimicking. Right. So. But I think in answer to your question, I would not determine I'm going to write after the downbeat melodies with tons of rest space because. You know, that's what so-and-so just did. Um, and he had a hit record last year, so it's going to be awesome. Oh, that's you know? so last year. <laughs> <laughs> Which really is like two years ago. Right, exactly. Know? So, I, but, but sometimes um, I think there, that also it's important for my creative spirit to allow for that critical ear to be there, but also not to let it determine uh, whether or not I finished a song that day. Mm -hmm. Because that ju that internal judge can be so harsh, um, you know. I could always find a way to shoot down something I just wrote. Hmm. Always, there's a there's That's a plenty good of reasons to have. not to finish an idea, you know. And the longer I work on an idea, hours go by, and I start to really resist finishing it. It really seems suspicious that I could write something that I would think is that good, and then I'll end up tucking it away. Wow, um, I think you just gave a lot of people license to procrastinate. Because <laughs> maybe that's the difference between an amateur and a pro. Is an amateur would walk away from stuff just out of frustration. A pro would walk away just from it, it. Yeah, knowing that it's not happening. Finish it. It's not happening, so finish it. Give yourself twenty minutes and say, "I'm going to allow that cliche to sit there," because that's what it is today. And then I'm going to work over here on this song. Let's talk about cliches. Um, it's an underused word. Yeah. It used to be so prominent in, in yeah. the vocabulary of people that teach songwriting or talk about songwriting. Sure. Uh, and now, um, God, you turn on Spotify and it's like a cliche playlist. Okay. Um, so many, especially in the urban, <clears throat> excuse me, urban yeah. pop market. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, baby, baby. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's just so bad and, and I've grown up in the industry I've been in the industry for like 40 some years yes. and all I've ever been taught whether it was engineering or production or songwriting is craft 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 and cliche is the antithesis of craft yeah. and yet I hear cliches in, in modern pop that work really really well yeah and, and yeah you know the the people who taught me what I know I feel them sitting on my shoulder going ah that's crap yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not. It works in context. In context. And I think that's the big word. Yeah. I always ask myself, okay, what's driving this song? Can I mention artists? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if, you know, James Taylor has recently said in an interview in American Songwriter that it's important that we understand, um, we ask ourselves, is this a song or is this entertainment? And there's nothing wrong with 
simply being entertaining. Mm-hmm. There are times where I don't, I just want to be entertained. I just want to groove. I really don't care what I'm listening to as far as lyrics go, but I want to groove. That's mm. not going to fly in, um, certainly as a, as a, as a staff writer in Nashville, you need to bring content, but think about what, uh, a s- country songwriting is all about. You know, it's the message you will, you will barely ever. I mean, I can't even think of a song with a diminished chord in it. Mm. It's just, it's really static when it comes to your chord progressions. You might hear your two majors every once in a while, this borrowed chord. But yet they're always demanding fresh melodies in Nashville, which is, yes. you know, so, there are only so many notes. <laughs> melody and lyric. <clears throat> melody and lyric. And, it, and uh, that's not to say that you can't involve um, more e- experimental chord movements, you know, but it's not the driving force. Yeah. And so it is all about context. So with cliches... Um, uh, you know, in Nashville, I always got the feedback that I, I, they would say, well, I hate to tell you to water it down, but I think what, what I now understand that they were telling me is I write very dense lyrics, you know, it's descriptive. It's like reading a short story. Mm -hmm. It's creative writing stuffed inside of a country song, you know, which I could see that as a, um, as a problem or which I did for many years I struggled with how do I make myself a little more like that or that or that or that until I realized now wait a second this is a unique characteristic of my songs what I need to understand is how to allow more cliche which is more just language that I don't need to decipher what it means I just know it's familiar you know um, more of that kind of language that aerates and kind of gives the lyric space so that the listener is not constantly thinking and thinking and thinking. Yeah, it's they not have to so work heavy. at it. Yeah. It's light a candle, <clears throat> pour a glass of wine time, that's great. But, yeah. you know, if you're in rush hour traffic, yeah. Uh, yeah. you don't want that. So it's context. And I think, um, is like I tell my writers in, in class and on my retreats, it's really all about what's driving your your song right now. And if it's not the lyric and it's clearly something else, great. Then maybe you don't need to uh, take that feedback that says, well, but this lyric, you know, maybe you can say to that person, you know what? Well, don't say this out loud, but you can think it. <laughs> you might not be my market. So I'm going to go to someone who's in, who's really familiar with what's driving this market and see if I get some better feedback. Interesting thing, talking about the market in Nashville, um, if I had to venture a guess, and I'm, you know, I go there more than the average out of towner goes there, mm-hmm. um, or have gone there, um, but haven't spent as much time, obviously, as somebody who's moved there to become a hit songwriter and given it their all. My observation is that almost everybody writes with a target in mind. Um, yeah. they know they're they're not just writing what yeah. emotes and hoping they can find a place for it. They go in knowing Faith Hill is going to start recording in three months and they want to be first in line with a song that she's going to cut. And so they they go in with that target. But then are are you saddled with this? Now it's not just you and the co-writer each contributing your thing. But now now you've got to write 
to what will appeal to faith right. and what will take faith's career up a notch so that sure. it gets played on radio and it's a hit. Sure, sure. That's a lot of voices in your head. That is a lot of voices. And I think, I, I don't know, it, I can't speak for everybody, but I think that to try to manage all of those voices and have them all come to agreement yeah. is unrealistic. So what do you do? How do you um, mitigate that problem and, and limit the number of voices? Um, I think one thing you do is allow yourself plenty of opportunities to pitch your songs in different situations. So you are not the only one trying to, under, trying to be a publisher. When you're pitching your songs, you're acting as your own publisher. Right. And being able to receive feedback from someone that says, hmm, there's something here I'm hearing that would be good for somebody some other artist right that you didn't imagine that and i would right. like really i never even thought about that oh that's a great idea so a great point. that is i think important mm -hmm. and i think one of the benefits is through taxi it's so feasible to pitch your songs in various you know to various needs right that you can through even just that act of having that deadline and saying okay i'm gonna finish this i'm gonna send it in <laughs> It's almost like, um, you know, I, I'm going to risk something right now, and that's hard to do. I'm going to risk not being heard the way I'd like to be heard. Not, I'm going to risk not getting a song cut, which it took me six, six years to get a song cut, and I had publishers, you know. I think Diane Warren once told oh. me it took her six years. Oh, well, she and I should buddy up. <laughs> it's 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 uh and and i think i told you before even as i had a publisher i was a taxi member that's right because you don't stop you don't stop trying to think about uh, taking it into your own hands and saying i really think that this is this is a potential for me but i think just the act of putting yourself out there for me it makes me think about uh what did i just do and then i'm kind of faced with hmm maybe some of the issues with that song would be you know but if I never put it out there I can kind of live in the safe zone of it's great I know it's great everybody should love it my friends love it my family loves it you know so my family and I were on vacation in Cancun a couple of years ago okay. um, totally off topic Lovely. but very relevant am um, I supposed to imagine you in a swimsuit right now no Okay. Yeah, that James Bond little, <laughs> oh, yeah, God. gold finger. Awesome. Thing. Yeah, yeah, never happened in my world. Anyway, um, so, and, and I told the story on stage at the Road Rally last year. Absolutely true story. Like every morning of my life, even when I'm on vacation, sadly, I sleep with my laptop right under me in bed. And the first thing I do when I wake up is pull out the laptop and look at it and whatever, you know, usually it's checking emails. Yeah. So I was looking at new taxi signups and I see the name Jonathan Kane. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's exactly the face I made. I went, oh, <laughs> and, and I literally remember being fear, fear like overtook me for the moment because sure. we've had big artists that have signed up for Taxi yeah. and they think because they had a hit in 1983 that we should forward everything they do now. Yeah. And that people, the pearly yeah. gates are going to open up for them and, sure. and Taxi is the avenue. So he actually typed in his email address wrong and his emails were bouncing back so when i got back from vacation i called him up uh and said jonathan it's michael lasco from taxi like, Hi. yeah yeah like, where are you going me? right <laughs> great guy and um he and i probably spent about an hour on the phone that day and he talked at length about 
how hard it was for him to be taken seriously writing country in Nashville because oh, he was yeah. this huge, you know, like mega pop, pop. Yep. guy, you know, stadium pop, yep. uh, if you will. And he eventually sent me probably 30 of his songs. I was so impressed with his craft. Mm. Um, and there was stuff in there that I, it should have been cut, but it probably wasn't right for the time or the artist. And it's mm -hmm. got to be very frustrating for people that he's got craft. Nobody could listen, no Nashville publisher could listen to yeah. what he's got and deny his craft. Yeah. And the yeah. guy has yeah. a gift. There are very few people that I've met in my 40 years in the industry that have a God-given gift. He's got a God-given gift for melody. Yeah. That guy could probably totally. like burp a melody and it would and it sound would, awesome. Yeah. He really has it like three or four notes and you go, wow, I'll never forget that. Yeah. So that was a, a, a sad study for me in the frustration that must come with learning the craft, achieving some modicum, in his case, a huge modicum of success and, and then not being relevant a week later, a day right. later, a year later, yeah. and, but yet you've still got all the tools. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. I really feel for him. Um, and, and, but you know what? He, re, he recalibrated. He's working in the Christian market now. Yeah. Um, cool. He's married to Paula White, the, the pastor, and uh, he is... Um, making Christian records and touring a lot and, and yeah. love and still going out with Journey. So happy ending on that one. But uh, a lot of my friends in Nashville that are now 50, 60, 70 years old that had a lot of hits in 1983 yeah. aren't having hits anymore. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. They join yeah. Taxi and scare me. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a testament to you that you feel respon so responsible for your members. Yeah. I, I want everybody who's working at it to get something for all that work. Of yeah. course, of course. And it's it's challenging when um, folks might think, I wrote three songs and I they really, to me, I swear they sound like they should be cut and then they don't get cut, and, you know. It's challenging. Um, and on the flip side, you never know. You never know if your natural sound is somehow on the pulse of what's going on, it's worth a try. Case in point. Two guys named Jim Funk and Eric Kickenlooper. Doesn't get more country wow. than that. Uh, and these guys lived in Utah. Okay. And they were writing in the back bedroom of a farmhouse and recording on an Alesis ADAT and had to stop tape every time a cow oh This is all true. <laughs> and they wrote a song called awesome. Little Things. And they were taxi members. Yeah. And the song Little Things got played at a taxi road rally, our convention, if anybody doesn't know about it. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a publisher named uh, Rex Benson that was on the panel, and he said, that song will get cut someday. Cool. And they walked up to him after the panel, and they said, well, if you're so confident that our song will get cut, would you publish it? And he went, okay. Wow. Um, yeah. But was, they had to ask. They did. They had to ask. <laughs> they had to suggest, well, here's how you could help us. And here's what and, you could do. And it ended up being Kenny Rogers hit by yeah. Mia Rose. Wow. And uh, the funny thing hmm. is that Kenny heard it. I think the story goes it was the seventh time that Kenny heard the song. And he looked at Rex and said, why haven't you ever played that for me before? <laughs> yeah. So clearly it, did, it didn't tickle Broca's area because he didn't remember it. But... <laughs> You know, people want to believe that 
there's like this mafia of people trying to keep you out of the industry. Yeah. Some, for whatever reason, the other six times Kenny Rogers was distracted. He was thinking right. about what he's going to have for dinner or that he was going to be away from his wife for a month while touring right. or you know, mm -hmm. pain in his back, whatever. It just didn't click in that moment. Did and you say shaving his back? <laughs> yeah, that's what I <laughs> <Okay>. said. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. um, no, no, we can't make fun of Kenny Rogers. He could still come back and have yeah. one more hit. Although oh, I, no. I heard he quit. I heard Kenny Rogers was like retiring. Uh, I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't I either. Not. <laughs> not for a minute. Um, so this all brings us full circle. My last little soliloquy over seven minutes there um, to sounding dated. Um, yeah. and, and we talked about modernizing, you know, where, where you start your melody and stuff, but how does somebody, do you have a prescription, if you will, somebody that just is struggling, they know they sound dated, they've at least come that far, because admitting yeah. you've got the problem is a big part yes. of, of your recovery, yes. I think. Yes. So they know that they sound dated. How, how do, what's the starting point? Where did they break it all down and start anew? Yeah, yeah. Is there such a thing as, you know, whack, whack, whack yourself in the head and, and go, okay, I'm not going to be dated anymore, and I know it's my, my yeah. melodies that sound dated. What do they do? Okay. I, uh, I think that Sting doesn't produce his own records. He could, mm -hmm. but he doesn't, you know. I think the thing is you got to involve other people. Which, which involves a level of trust. You have to trust another person whom you think is an excellent musician. So I think that's the thing is instead of just looking at who do I have available that would be willing or that I would have a great time with, you know, sitting around doing whatever, looking at my song, really put some effort into, even if I had to um, develop myself a little bit financially with my time, who would I like to work with? You know, and then connect that with who might I be able to get to, who might be available, and it might be a singer who's had some experience, uh, who, you know, who sung quite a lot of songs, maybe knows your genre, is also a writer. Um, but I would reach out to other people, and I would slim down that demo. I think I was talking about this when you were out, to just bare bones, one instrument and the vocal. Because I think, you know, certainly that dated sound can be taken. Your attempt at production, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want, you know, that's so sad if you've got a good song and then you demo it in a certain way. And this happens all the time in, in demo sessions. Um, in Nashville, I've got many demos that we re-demoed. Sometimes we'd do a full demo, realize this isn't hitting quite the way we wanted it. And so we'd uh, do a new vocal. And sometimes we would do a guitar vocal. Mm -hmm. Just go right back to the beginning. There are still people that like a guitar vocal in Nashville, which is always heartening to me. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, there are, half the people out there only play guitar. Sure. And so they're limited by that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to take an acoustic guitar and make a modern pop song out of it. Very. That. So that would be a different situation, right? Okay. Where um, you definitely don't want to sound as if you don't understand how... You, you, people would naturally want to be pitched songs. So you want to do a little research, and you have tons of resources on Taxi's website that I was looking at Thank that help that. us to understand how to demo, what would be expected. I mean, 
the the number of songs that you hear on uh, the radio, the radio is such mm-hmm. a small. It's like a little sliver cross section of all the songs that were written. Yeah. To try to get you know the the the, the singles out there, um, and so do as much research as you possibly can. Listen to the artists who are referred to you by you know the the artists that are similar to those artists, and figure out what they're doing, and try to understand the differences between and the way they sound. And write it down. Yeah. Yes, try. Keep, uh, can't yeah. keep all that stuff in your head. Uh, yeah. Some of it seeps in via osmosis. But I yeah. found when I was transitioning from um, engineer to producer, yeah. I would love to hang out with your husband and have this conversation. Because you go through an imitative, first you go through, oh, look, I got signal from the microphone to the meter on the tape machine. Look at me. Woo-hoo. Right. And then you go through this imitative mm-hmm. stage where I got so-and-so's guitar sound or yeah. my mix sounds like another engineer who I really, really admire. Yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about right before that was... Well, data uh, demos and stuff like that. Yeah, that... um, I lost it. We were recording a guitar vocal that we can hear through guitar vocal. Yeah, I remember that, but I lost it. (laughs) Anyway, it must not have been that important, but you do... You you go through this imitative stage, but once you master the craft, then you can transcend and find your own voice, whether it's engineering, producing, or writing. This is true. And and your voice has to be... go going full circle to what we talked about much earlier in the show, it, it's got to be a voice that fits in a cubbyhole that the industry has going on right now. Right. And then you get resistant writers who or artists, but mostly right. writers that go, I don't want to fit in a cubbyhole. Okay. And that, <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is okay. If you decide well, you don't want to, but then don't expect right. that, <laughs> that you'll, you'll be heard and understood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which cubby holes equate to opportunity, which equates to success, which equates to earning a living doing what you love. Right, right. Yes. Uh, so, do we have do we have questions that we are to field or? Yeah, but I still ha- I still have some here for oh, you. Oh, okay. Um, have you been getting some yes. that you've been writing down to? Great. Okay. So. Uh, we found that among Taxi's members, be it on the chat room during these shows, which I'm not seeing my chat room today, but hi, guys. Um, I guess I could center myself a little better. Um, when our members are asked to give feedback on other members, I see this on our forum all the time, they give some pretty darn good feedback. Yeah, writer to writer. Yeah, but when one of our screeners gives them feedback, it's like, what does that dude know? Um I'm I'm deeply appreciative of the fact that we do shows where we have the people in the chat room um, critiquing music, and, and they seem to learn because it's easier to critique somebody else's thing, and I think that that creeps back into your own skill set. When they sit down to write, they go, oh, yeah, I remember critiquing that guy in the forum or on Taxi TV. I'm doing the same darn thing. Yeah. So I like that. So do you... Um, ever find that as a teacher and a songwriter that what you're teaching your students All that the time. like later down the line you're writing and going crap I, I was telling people in my class that all the time yeah. all the time the okay. things that I listen that I hear and the things that are uh, are the, the things that I hear happening in someone else's song are ultimately things that I'm focused on sometimes in my own writing yeah 
So it's, it's really important when I'm listening to other people's stuff that I try to understand where they are coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and try to get through the, the, this is dated. Okay, but let's just take the song. What would I change if, uh, you know, to to get to where I think this should should be? And that's just me, you know. But I think it's really important to kind of understand that, that feedback, uh, especially from the screeners who have writing backgrounds, the mm-hmm. musical people, and they have an understanding of what it might take to get that song successful in the industry. Um, I think, you know, it, it's not like they can spend an hour listening to every song and respond in detail and with craft suggestions. So I think one thing that, that people, we can do as taxi members is to take this feedback and uh, try to make more sense of it and and so as you're playing your song for other people reread that feedback again sit with the feedback and imagine you know put, am put i getting away. some right. of the same critiques from various sources absolutely and i can say all right so i got one one person uh felt and noticed that such and such is happening yeah um, what do you think in context of this song? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think? What could that tell me about all my songs? You know, because a lot of times, if we submit several songs for t- critique, there will be some patterns, mm-hmm. which show us our tendencies. You know, I I tend to uh, put more emphasis on on the groove and the production than I do the lyric, and the lyric is a bit of an afterthought, and that's why. There's a lot of cliches, or it sounds like the lyric is crammed into a really tight space, <laughs> and yeah. it's or it's awkward to sing or whatever. Um, and and so I, you know, I think it's it's really helpful to keep considering that feedback, so that you can then decide what are some of the tendencies that are coming up for me, so that you can also know your strengths too, because there is something working in every single song that's, Absolutely. that's submitted. But oftentimes we don't hear that in the critique. We actually yeah. tell the screeners that, that they should always lead with the thing that works best because yeah. it shows yeah. somebody that you care and that you're listening with an open mind and you've noticed that thing of quality, whether it's, it might be as simple as, I love the texture of your vocal in the demo, and then you find out it's actually not them singing, oh well, it's still a great vocal in the demo. but. We have found over the years through experimentation uh, that that opens up the mind to the rest of the feedback. And absolutely, I could not agree with you more that people should actually um, keep a spreadsheet. Uh, I mean, that may be taking it to an extreme, but certainly Mm -hmm. keeping track. If you hear your melody meanders in the chorus and there's Mm -hmm. not enough contrast from the verse over and over again, after you've heard that three times, the eyebrows should go up. After you've heard it five to ten times, you should go, okay, that's a serious problem I need to fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, the, the part about receiving feedback that is really, really difficult is that you create music, songs in particular, from your musical soul. It's here I am. I'm putting me out on that table for everybody to look at and decide right. if they love me, they hate me, or they want to slice me and dice me, however right. they want to react to it. Yeah. And so it's an extension of you, but yet you have to separate it and go, it's just a friggin' song and I'm going to write another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all I have. Yeah. So how have you as a pro songwriter been able to develop 
thicker skin because they are you know it's you yeah but it's your song how, how do you separate I think, the two? I think it's I have so much compassion and empathy I think for people who are not in a major music city where you're told well deal with it you know there's all <laughs> kinds of other people who are trying to do the exact same thing that you're doing when you're not in a major market you don't see that you you might and and it, it's totally reasonable that you would think that you're quite unique and that the songs that you're writing are innovating you know on the craft and and especially when you know you do coffee house gigs and people really do enjoy it mm -hmm. and there's a difference between marketing yourself to your fans and marketing yourself to the industry the industry very very different um, and so I think you know it, be kind to yourself that's the first thing be kind because not everybody, and most I think, are not going to be able to express to you how to fix the thing that they see not happening. So I think that's where we need to do our research as, as songwriters. You use the example of the meandering melody. Mm. There are books, uh, resources, YouTube videos, all kinds of things. If you, if you really search for mel melodic motif, how to write a strong melody. I mean, you're going to come up with tons of resources on that. And then really try it on. But I think the, the, the idea to isolate one element of the song that you're getting feedback on and then take, you know, take two steps that week. That's all. Two steps to try to find a, cup, a resource that speaks to that. A good resource. Yeah. It, that's part of the process is not just finding a resource that resonates with you, but finding a resource that you can trust. Because I, I've seen that as an engineer producer. I look at a lot of forums online. Mm. Um, and while I'm certainly not um, actively doing it today, there's a craft. There's yeah. a base craft that you learn about yeah. miking instruments and yeah. mixing and stuff. And I see a lot of guys that are espousing information that um, it sounds good. If I were somewhat ignorant, it would sound really good to me. Yeah. But being somebody who's been down the road, you read it and go, sounds better than the actual quality of the information. So, um, But that's I, no different than anything else. Right. right. you got to source, source it from several places and, and look, for, <laughs> look for commonality. Right. Yeah. Commonality. That's so yep. true. So um, true. Pro writer mistakes versus newbie or, or still developing writer mistakes. Um, do you mm -hmm. tend to see some patterns with pro writers that if they have a failure and... and um, if? <laughs> okay. <laughs> when they have a failure to launch, um, right. are, are they still making common mistakes and are they different from what um, newer people would make or are they similar? So interesting. So I can mention names and things. Yeah. Um, Craig, oh, please do. Craig Wiseman is a extremely prolific Right. I have, just right. so you know, I've got a picture of his butt crack, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. I when wasn't wondering. He and I went fishing one time, and he was <laughs> bending over, reeling in the big one, and his butt crack was showing. I took a picture. I awesome. sent it to Ralph Murphy, who promptly, I think, sent it to everybody in Nashville. Anyway, so that's and he had out a, there digitally. And he had a red toenail. Nice. I remember that. Anyway, sorry. What sorry. what what were we talking about? Craig Wiseman, <laughs> yeah, okay. a prolific, so which he is, yes. He writes probably a thousand songs a year. Yeah. A year. And that's three a day. Just to put it in context. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got um, other writers, and I'm blanking on the name that I wanna find right now. 
who will write eight songs a year. And so these two writers have very different processes. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, what I would think about is kind of that the gate through which they allow their ideas to flow is, is at a very different rate, you know. But um, they both get, you know, significant number of those percentage-wise, ratio-wise cut. So as far as mistakes, um, you know, I think you, you, like I tell my, my writers in the pop music program at USC, it's hard for them to write a bad song anymore. You know, right. Just something that everybody's like, whoa, you're changing tempo all over the place. You know, what keeps us in? Um, it's <laughs> right. Their worst would be better than everybody else's best because yeah, they've yeah. got that lifetime of craft experience. Under yeah. So I think it's the same, you know, for a pro writer. The worst case scenario would be that you would write a song that's kind of forgettable because it sounds similar to whatever else is out there. But I could name, and I probably shouldn't, but some songs that I that are big hits that, frankly, they satisfy the mediocre. Mm -hmm. And they show off the vocalist voice, and it's simple piano, you know, but it's, it's I, I wouldn't, knowing the writer's other work, I certainly wouldn't say that they finished that song and thought, this is going to get cut. It's more than likely it was a, hey, will you write this song for so-and-so? It's for this movie spot right. and we need it to emotionally do this you know huge climax in the bridge whatever so um and that's okay but i think that in general pro writers just recognize that if you're a lifer you just write a lot and you can't take every song as as the last thing that you're going to write what your entire identity hinges on you're just going to quit you're just going to implode what about um still developing writers um if you could wave your magic songwriter teacher yeah. wand and make one problem that seems to be endemic throughout most if not all what would that problem be spending gobs of time booking shows and recording for nine months and not writing a thing <laughs> that's probably what, what i would say that's a great answer i like that yeah um i i that's fun. Earlier today, I was thinking about people who spend all this time working on social media and marketing yeah. and building their email list yeah. and all this stuff that they work on, but their songs are mediocre at best. And it's like, why bother? But in their mind, the songs aren't mediocre, and I understand that. Sure. But sure. yeah, great song does tend to find daylight. Mediocre song stays hidden forever yeah well and you don't know i mean realistically I, I understand why we do that you don't know you get you put out a record because it's the best you could do at that time mm. and you see if it floats and and you, you do your best but at the same time continue writing don't let it go let's move on to viewer questions you know why because right here how much time do we have we have 15 minutes right there Yellow highlight says, viewer questions. Your turn. I'm pointing at a chat room that's empty. Um, lay one on me, please. Okay, this is from Brad Gray. Uh, do you ever get hung up on a song you've written, meaning that a song you've written and you feel is good and others maybe don't see it that way, what do you do? Do you rewrite? Okay, so I'm, I'm just in case because Ariana's four feet away from the backside of the microphone. 
if you have a song um, that you feel really good about and it's what not gaining any traction in so many words or if someone else just disagrees like um, maybe a publisher or another writer that you show it to so if you feel strongly and the people around you don't feel strongly about a song do you say oh well I'm in the minority and put it away or do you keep going and try and make it so damn good that they can't feel the way they do anymore I, I think that's such a great question um, all the time that I'm putting into rewriting or redemoing, thinking about that song, I am taking away from new things that I write, new networks that I make. So, if, you know, aspiring to, I'm going to go out Thursday night instead of working on this song because I have two hours that, to meet, you know, Lisa Loeb at uh, the Tower Records, you know, whatever, dating myself here. But anyway, <laughs> um, to see, you know, to, to see what I can learn from, from that. Or um, laying down a batch of five new songs with my friend who can lay down good, good guitar. So I guess I see that as a, um, I'm going to take the opportunity to do what's best for me and plan a little bit, which means, um, yes, I want to stand up for, for the things I've, I've made that I feel strongly about. And at the same time, um, I think to do that at the expense of other activities that I know are going to put me in a position where I can get better co-writes, produce better songs, you know, is not doing myself a service. How's that answer? I get it. Um, somebody somewhere in my lifetime said to me once that introspection plants the seeds of self-doubt which grows a procrastination tree. Uh, um, sure. <laughs> you know, it took me years sure. to understand that, but that could be applied to that song, you know, if you're gonna just sit there and think it to death or just go use your time wisely elsewhere. And it could be something where if you, once you get a co-write um, that you think, well, this person's really good, I'm gonna risk taking that song to that person because ultimately another writer might be key in helping you get out of the space yeah. your mind is stuck in that you can't get out of. Um, of course, that takes some trust because you'll have to say, you know, I'm going to relinquish my control over this and let somebody else help me finish it. Uh, particularly if it's someone who has some musical connections that you don't have, if their name's on it and they were able to make the song more, I'm gonna go pitchable, then that only does you a service rather than, um, you know, isn't it funny how you. we look at art, uh, you know, in that way, but yet in relationships, uh, how many people did you date before you said, yes, I want to marry that mm. guy and married your husband? Mm. But yet with art, it's like art gets some sort of special place on, you know, the hierarchy that um, it's great. And, and you can't just keep trying and try, trying on different shoes until you find the one that fits, you know, which... It's very different if you're pitching again to the industry. Yeah. If you're an artist and an indie artist and you're, you know, who cares? Do your songs the way you want to do them and the way your fans love to hear them. It's a totally different industry. So if you find that you're coming up against that a lot, maybe you need to listen to your artist voice and, and see what how your career might look differently. People have said to me many times, uh, during my career that be true to yourself, sooner or later the industry will come around to where you're at. And while that may be true some of the time, maybe oftentimes um, you're gonna be too old, too fat, too tired, too something. Um, there's a timeline 
that puts pressure on people and, and yeah. that makes them have to chase fads yeah. versus being utterly true to him or herself, yeah. which is kind of a bummer. It, it's a sad part of the industry, but it's true. You know what I found, mm-hmm. though? Right. If you're not true to yourself, you find yourself in writing rooms and writing sessions with people you don't really enjoy being with. I've had this happen, too, where I've thought, why am I here? Mm. I'm not connecting with the 16-year-old in the fur coat <laughs> who's writing, yeah. you know, I'm like, good, jeez, is this what it's come down to? And, and it's okay if I walk in and I say a certain amount of 25% of my time, I'm going to do that because that's a good decision for my future. But Do you know who Cara Diaguardi? Yeah. So she and I became friends many years ago. It was kind of earlier in her career. And, and I remember her telling me how many times that she's been in a room with the 16-year-old with the fur coat. Cara yeah. is gifted with this. Her special talent is, is getting past that yes. and making it work on yes. a level that the rest of us can only envy. She's got yes. that talent. Yes. Next question, please. So this is Sean Haley's question. How do you recommend adding different genres to writing in your main style? I write Americana and add other styles, um, but what's helped you all break into new habits? Okay, so basically it's how do you get out of your old style and, and, and develop uh, new, new styles, new genres? What a great question. So yeah. I have the suspicion that Sean is actually quite good at uh, getting out of his skin and trying on these different styles just because he's thinking about it. I'll be the first to admit I'm, I, I wouldn't be the kind of person to ask that question too. I have seen my songs take on a whole new life that I didn't expect in different genres because of the producer's vision, you know, the producer and engineer's vision. And sometimes by uh, very, very intentionally trying to find collaborators who are really great in that genre. And then of course listening a lot to those other genres, which I would always do even if I'm Americana. I'm going to be listening to all kinds of other stuff, so I'm not just rewriting what everybody else is writing. Yeah. You know. Um but that that would be my thing is it sounds like he's on the right road. It's and a- search out people that are much better than Sean than you are in that genre. Rely on other people's strengths because you're also bringing them your strength that they can't access without you. I'm going to get personal. Um, When you and your husband crawl under the sheets at night and the pillow talk begins and it goes to the industry um, Mm. and and you're expressing self-doubt or you're hung Mm -hmm. up on something that you wish had happened and it's not coming together, is it really hard to be married to somebody that's a sounding board that's got the professional tool set to be that sounding board? Do you drive him crazy or does he does it break his heart when he can't solve the problem? How does that all work in a relationship? Right. We blame each other for our failures. <laughs> that's healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, ultimately he would say that I've given him appreciation for lyrics and, and for songs okay. that he didn't have before. And that said, I listen to music very differently because of him. Mm. But we, I mean, we definitely get in, we got our fights in the studio for sure. You know, he's got his style and he'll bring that to my songs every time, even if I don't want it, you know. Got it. um, And there are times where we don't work together because he can't, I mean, he knows his limitations too as a 
professional in his industry so he he wouldn't even begin to think that that he should produce everything you know that I'm doing um, so yeah it's not as spectacular as you might think but he's very honest with me too about my songs and which is why I don't ever play him one song at a time smart I, I would be destroyed if I did yeah um, when pitching yeah um, some people are of the mind that don't play the best song first because the natural reaction, especially Nashville publishers, although they are really trying to be helpful much of the time, um, yeah. the first thing out of the gate is usually easily rejected, I always saw. And uh, sometimes I would actually get out of my chair and head to the door, go, you know, there's one other thing I should probably play you, although I don't think it's for you. And that worked really, really well, wow. I got to say. Your business side's coming out. Yeah. I was never that smart. <laughs> All right, next question, please. All right, this is another Brad Gray question. How do you separate the good advice from the not so good, amateur versus pro? Oh, I think we covered that one, but. Wow. The good advice versus the not so good. I think we covered amateur versus pro. Um, and good advice versus bad, words. we covered it with, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking Triangulate look at many sources and look for a certain amount of agreement among those sources then you know that you're on to something i could let her answer because she is my guest but um yeah seeing the patterns yeah. seeing the patterns i think that's that's probably good i mean every writer i think we should always have three or four people that we really value their opinion and i think one thing that they could do is is to be able to give us feedback that if we ask for them to dig deeper into that feedback, they could give us some some clarity. It's not just, I'm not feeling it. You know, well, <laughs> why aren't you feeling it? You know, is it a melodic thing? Is it a lyric thing? Um, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> feel it. Feel it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the more that you exercise your own ability to give feedback to the songs you listen to that's a teaching tool so so when we give feedback we're actually honing our own craft and so sometimes feedback is uh, more useful more readily available in how to apply it to the person giving the feedback than it is the person receiving the feedback uh, you know so yeah it's because Nashville publishers have listened to so many songs and tried to verbalize what they're feeling where it's lacking what's working that the feedback is so good Sometimes I wonder if they, our feedback forms here are based. It all started with John Brahaney, twenty. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, twenty-eight, twenty-nine years ago. Yeah. Um, and over the years, we've taken what I learned from him in the first feedback form that he designed for Taxi, mm -hmm. and we've modified it because we do find, and we've gotten the same screener from every generation, uh, same feedback from every generation of screeners. Most of the problems are common. Yeah, and, and so rather than trying to write out longhand an articulate description of a problem, we've just made them into checkboxes, totally. which some people might see mm. as an easy way out. But we would rather have them take the, the time they're going to type for the one thing that is unique uh, versus yeah. the common problems. Yeah. Just an observation on yeah. my part. Sure. Um, where do you do your retreats here in LA or in Nashville? Thank you for asking. So I have a retreat this summer coming up in July, the week of the twenty-first. I have a retreat in September um, in New York. Where's the one this summer? This summer, yeah. Oh, Joel, that is Jolson. the summer. 
is the one just north of Nashville in okay. Jolton. Yeah. Um, at a beautiful retreat center. So, um, and another one in uh, New York, and then one later on in uh, L.A. And so, describe the retreats. Are they yeah. 10 people, 20 people? How does so the day start? We have on a limit of 30. Okay. And we have guests who come, and it's really craft-based, though. And a lot of uh, the things that I've kind of dipped into today as far as how to understand critique, really it's about being able to learn to hear your own instinctive voice, being able to understand what do you do that's strong. So what are your tendencies then also as far as your writing how do your melodies tend to go how do your lyrics tend to go and how can you harness those strengths at as you continue to write there are collaboration uh activities that we do we do um how long is the song whole presentations is it like a weekend or a week? it's monday through friday okay yeah and so do you pair people up in advance based on what you've heard them submit before the retreat started or how do you match um, them up with potential not collabs? necessarily because personality uh, matters quite a bit but my team and i do a great deal of listening to their music so we understand and there's an application process too to make sure the dynamic of the group is healthy and productive can somebody um, be I don't want to say bad enough. Can somebody be not developed enough to not be allowed to join you for the retreat? Uh, Do they have to be the a short certain answer? Level? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because you definitely want to create a uh, the opportunity for people to continue on, um, and there's also uh, alumni retreats so okay. that people can come together and grow their network and and help each other. But it's really about creating a community through which you can receive feedback, understand the feedback, write better songs, and get there quicker. So a lot of the tools yeah. that I teach um, in my face-to-face uh, -face courses and my online courses are kind of summarized in a way. And also, the, res uh, the as far as what resources are out there, the cost of resources. You know, I have X amount of time, or I live in utah what can i do you know um and i love having those conversations because that could have been me had i not had the uh family that was able to send me to berkeley at 18 you know I, so i consider myself extremely lucky to have been able to pursue this when i did where'd you grow up minnesota okay yeah yeah um and i love that uh, i love reaching songwriters who have a desire, have a talent, and they simply need the opportunity, the situation where they can nurture that and get somewhere. I There are years when the road rally is over and I go get in my car Sunday night, nine o'clock to leave, and I've been known to burst into tears just because I it's got, awesome. had a whole weekend of watching. I will just sit there quietly cry by myself in the Weston circular driveway because I see lives get changed. And it's a, a remarkable feeling to know that something you did brought these people together that otherwise never would have met in their lifetime, so and true. something came out of it that was the, the sum was greater than the parts. And, so true, so um, true. How about uh, people that say to you, because I'm sure they do, they say to me all the time, why don't you just do, you know, have a, a live video cam for the road rally? My contention is the magic doesn't happen unless you're in a room with people. Yeah. Uh, that's where the chemistry works. You yeah. know, it's hard to do it. You can teach on a camera, but you can't have people grow together on a camera. Right. 
Yeah, so. community is really, really important. And it's hard to find community on <laughs> on your own. Um, it takes a lot of legwork, and there's a there's a, a great deal of time involved. And so I think a beauty of the road rally and uh, the retreats are that you, you know, we've already kind of s- screened people mm-hmm. in the sense where, you know, you can find your people. And the road rally doesn't get too big. That's another thing I love about it where... Um, and there's plenty of opportunities to connect more intimately with people, like around the luncheon tables and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's really important. Yeah, well, it used to be everything in one room, and then it got to mm. the point where it was just too much of that. Yeah. And we started adding things to personalize and give people options, a good observation on your part. Uh, where can people learn about the retreats? Your website, andreastolpe.com? Uh, yeah, go to andreastolpe.com, and right now... Um, the retreat in Nashville is just opening up. And so for people who register before April 1st, I think they get like $500 off wow. the the cost of the retreat. And it's so lovely because all the meals are taken care of. Uh, the rooms, the retreat centers are beautiful. So it's, it's tons of fun. And I love doing it. Somebody once said to me the best way to meet people in the music industry is go to rehab. So this is like rehab <laughs> without the drugs, right? Yeah, without the yeah, without the substance. without the actual rehab. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, been enjoyable having you on the show. Um, Andrea is going to join us for the road rally this year and teach a class there. Um, oh, let me hold the books up again. Oh yeah. And remember, folks. Um, I really need like one of those little stands like Jay Leno used to have to put mm-hmm. stuff on the desk. Anyway, um, you, you can <clears throat> yeah, you can get these books by going in the comment area underneath the video on YouTube after the show. We'll take a minute for the show to render, the video to render, but go in there and comment what you like best about the show. Ask a question. Would you go check our video out in the comment section a day from now? And if there are a couple of questions, would you I give would a couple? Of answers? Thank yes. you. And the person who, persons, because we've got two books, um, who gives the best question and the best comment about the show, one of each of you will win a book. How's that? Mm. Um, We will mail it to you. And if you're not from the United States, then don't play the game. I'm kidding. (laughs) The post (laughs) suck. That's all right. We'll send it over in one of the empty airplanes with the non-coronavirus carrying passengers. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Been fun having you. Thank you for letting me go cough up a lung in the middle of the show and All covering good. it very, very well. Um, I will see. Oh, special uh, thing I should let you know about next week, Mr. Ken Clay, the Grammy-winning co-producer of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Tusk, and there's a third one I can't remember the name of. Anyway, I'm going to his studio, and we are going to interview Ken. He was a huge hit at last year's Road Rally. Going to interview him about the making of Tusk. If you want to hear the story of musical debauchery and what drugs can do to the kids, don't miss next week's episode. Now, Ken's awesome. He, he tells a great story, and uh, I've read the book, and uh, it's pretty cool. So check us out next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woo-hoo! I wonder if it sound like I didn't do woo-hoo.